Thanks to everybody who supported the show this week via Patreon, including Dan Lane, Alistair Harding, Ian Wilkinson, Matt Lacey, Tim Edwards, Ilico Elia, Roland Robertson, Jamie Holland. If you'd like to support the show from $1 per episode, go to 361podcast.com slash support. Let's do some claps. Go on. Ready? One, two, three. If it's possible, I think we've just done three claps, all of which had a different sequence and timing. That was pretty special. And you also counted the wrong way. It's usually three, two, one. It doesn't matter. For 16 seasons, you've done three, two, one, like that. I decided to mix it up. Yeah, and if that's your biggest requirements problem with the way Ben runs a podcast, you need to get out more or go on your treadmill or something to work off some of the excess stress. Too hot. Right, go do some Lego. That'll make you feel better. Oh, yeah. I'm waiting for my Lego to arrive. Ewan and I are AFLs. Right. Uh, absent, funny, Lego. Adult fans of Lego. He's nodding, I got it right. Funny wouldn't have been the first F I went for. Welcome to 361, a podcast about mobile tech and the world around it. My name is Ben Smith. I'm Ewan McLeod. And I'm Rafe Blanford. This is season 18, episode 9, and this week we're talking about Apple's new Macs that run on ARM, Wirecard's industry woes, and hey, the new email client from Basecamp. Chaps, how are you doing? Very well, thank you, Ben. Yes, hello, very well, thanks. How are you? Yeah, not too bad, not too bad. Just um, a quick one before we start today. A um, mm. couple of people have been in touch, Matt on Twitter today publicly, but a few conversations we've had, and I just wanted to, just sort of off the cuff, just sort of say that mm. we know things are tough for people at the moment, and you know, lockdown, jobs, that kind of stuff can be a bit tricky, and it's not always that what you're going through is particularly challenging. It's just like everything adds up, you know, like the worry about finding work or, yep. you know, the stress of looking after kids or all that kind of stuff. And it kind of just adds up a bit. So we're not blind to that. And like, you know, we individually have each got our versions of that going on as well. But the podcast, like, is our chance to blow off some steam and to have some fun. And so if we're laughing and joking around, it's not because we don't care about that stuff. But like, this is our outlet for, you know, kind of, having a fun conversation and hopefully, you know, people, as Matt said on Twitter, hopefully people enjoy it and it's supposed to be a bit of light relief from, you know, everyday stuff. And mm. if you're not okay or if you're fed up or if there's, you know, something that's irritating you that we can talk about, you know, like work or remote work or something like that, give us a shout. If you're out of work and you do stuff like we do, give us a shout. We could, you know, retweet your CVs and that kind of stuff, anything we could do. Or frankly, if you are just at home enjoying the podcast but a bit fed up with everything else that's going on give us a shout and uh, you know kind of we're here it's good to have a chat and uh, to hear how things are going on with you so thanks to those that have uh, been in touch and uh, like I say unfortunately I sort of you know heard some news today you know sort of privately through friends and colleagues that you know it's not going well for everybody and it kind of just reminded me that because I was having a good day not everybody was having a good day today so you know we're not blind to it absolutely yeah on that sober note We'll crack on, though. We've got a little bit of follow-up to do. It wasn't entirely sober. That's well, we're here to be fun. <laughs> so do some fun. Say some fun. <laughs> we'll be fun, he says, in the most boring monotone we've had in eight episodes. <laughs> yeah. I will just say that, obviously, Mark can edit this out afterwards because, you know, don't express emotion and sentiment. Put some bleeping in, Mark. 
Yeah. It's actually been a lot of fun recording this during the lockdown as well. So thank you to my co-hosts for keeping spirits up and two people on the end of a video call who I definitely want to speak to on a weekly basis. There you go. If you want some fun, Ewan. Yeah. Have you seen that weird looking clown who hides from stupid people? Uh, no, no. Hit me. Go on. <laughs> what? It's a weird clown that hides from stupid people. No, I'm not. What? Have you seen it? What? I'm waiting for the pennies to drop. <laughs> the weird clown. The scary clown who hides from stupid people. <laughs> there we go. 25 seconds, ladies no, and gentlemen. No, I haven't. I haven't seen that. I'm yeah. like, what? Can we just get... I thought I thought we we're going to talk about monitors and stuff. Uh, and we, then, we will. If, you always do... Look, Wait. you always do... Look, listeners... When we begin, we have to do clapping, right? It's a thing we have to do because it makes Mark happy. And this time, Ben counted the other way, right? Normally, it's, he does it in a very nice dulcet tone. Three, two, one, then we have to clap, right? Okay, like that. And that this time, he went one, two, three. It's really, really off-putting. And then you start with a joke that I don't understand. Thanks for that. Yeah. I got it. I got it 25 seconds later. There we go. That's the speed of thinking. Right, move on, move on. Just keep moving on. Skip 30. Okay. We got some follow up, but before we do proper follow up, uh, we should do some Rafe Blanford follow up. Wait, no. Yeah. Well, actually, I suppose we should probably just lift the curtain a little bit. Mm. Since we last recorded this episode, mm. or at least two of us recorded this episode, and Rafe Blanford's he was pretending gigabit internet connection munched his version, so we're <laughs> back doing version two of this. Rafe posted some top quality Rafe Blanford Instagram content. Mm. I mean, I, I actually now only use Instagram to follow Rafe Blanford's postings. That's what I use it for as well. Yeah. And Rafe, I mean, you know, we need to go on and talk about the content, but I'm going to give you 30 seconds to explain why you have a pet duck. I think a lot of people have pets. Many people have pets. Lots of people will be able to relate to that part, yes. It's the pet duck piece that surprised me. And also, just as by way, mm-hmm. like, I'm pretty sure about four days ago, I said to you, hey, Rafe, how's it going? Anything going on? Anything interesting? I was like, oh, yeah, I'm, um, you know, I'm, I'm going down to spend some time with the family. You know, the bubbling rules allow that now. Oh, you have a nice time? Yeah, it's great, lovely. Anything else interesting? No. And um, um, they're like, the correct answer to that question was, yes, I've acquired a duck. Well, technically, it's my parents have acquired the duck, and Goliath the duck was lonely because he was being bullied by other ducks and needed to be rehomed. Therefore, he decided to come and live at my parents' place in Sussex. And he's quite a big fellow, so he's called Goliath. He eats. Can we just, and can eats we just be clear? Eats. Blandford Estate in Sussex, right? Where my parents live in Sussex, which you have yeah. falsely called the Blandford Estate. But yes, and it's where well, I grew wait, wait up, a and I'm very fond can of I, it. Can I just be clear that the postman delivers, because I regularly send mail to Rafe, I just put care off the Blandford Estate, and it does arrive. It does arrive. Yeah. I think this just proves how good the Royal Mail is and how poor your addressing skills are. If you just are. send anyway, it to Blandford Estate in Sussex, it will get to Blandford. Also, so, Rafe, before you protest anymore, it's large enough to have a duck pond. Okay? Yeah, just like, be clear. Let's just be clear. You own a duck and all of the accommodations for the duck. But, no, well, his, his, his parents, his very nice parents, uh, who I, I, we haven't actually met them, have got ducks. Where else are you going to put a duck but in a duck pond? I mean, you're not going to yeah. rehome a duck and not have a duck pond. Anyway, Goliath is a very duck friendly it? duck. It's a white duck. I mean, it's a pet duck. Oh, I, mean, I don't know. I thought- anyway, Goliath. What's his Latin name, Blanford? Quack. Um, <laughs> anyway. <laughs> oh, he's getting irritated. Come on. Come on. Goliath is a very friendly person. And I would admit it was a little bit weird when I was on a conference call and I was sitting outside because it was one of the hottest days of the summer in the UK. 
and without me realizing, Goliath had waddled up beside me and sat down until one of my colleagues broke and goes, is that a duck sitting next to you, Rafe? And I said, yes, <laughs> yes it is. So I kind of had to own the fact there was a duck sitting next to me. But Goliath is very friendly. He likes people. He also likes chocolate cake. He ate my birthday cake, which I was a bit annoyed about, which I'd got two months late. And he also ate strawberries and cherries and other things because he's quite hungry. But he will just come and sit next to you when you're on the lawn and sit down next to you, gets quite close and goes to sleep. So I don't really see why that was a big news announcement, but I did think it would be a nice thing to put on Instagram. Well, certainly I thoroughly recommend you need to follow Instagram.com forward slash Rafe Blanford for all of your duck imagery needs. And specifically, if you want to see duck and strawberry, I thought duck and orange was normally the recipe, but duck, strawberry and chocolate cake was a surprise. And certainly some of my late night Instagram scrolling was greatly enriched by your duck. So mm. There you go. Hashtag duck follow up if you want to uh, tweet us at 361podcasting. Yes. Right. Maybe on some topics. Indeed. Uh, sorry, can I just, sorry, if you don't mind, it is anas, is the Latin for duck. Thank you, Ewan. Just saying. <laughs> okay. Let's get on with some proper follow up. A couple of things. So, a few people have pinged me to say, how is I getting on with the LG Ultra Fine 5K screen? And Ewan, you asked as well. I uh, have, yes. Because uh, we talked about it in a previous episode about, you know, decent screens making for nicer home working conditions, all that kind of stuff. I think I would summarize it as amazing screen, mediocre physical presentation, like it's just a black box. But I've had a few wobbles with all the extras on it. So the Thunderbolt hub and ports on the back that should have let me hook up mice and a backup drive and all those sorts of things, you know, to my laptop through the same connection as the screen. I thought they weren't working and then I did some testing one by one and everything was fine and then my Uh mouse just randomly stopped working and then the transfer speed on the disc went slow but then I unplugged the disc and plugged it into the computer and it was still slow. So I think at this stage what I would say is I don't 100% trust it but as something to look at, it's fantastic. I think I would say if all you want to do is use it as a screen, then fantastic, go ahead and buy it. But you and you and I were talking earlier about, mm. you know, should I buy this over something without all those extra bits on? I think if you don't need the built-in webcam and the Thunderbolt hub on the back, or you could do with a 4K screen, you can get a lot more for, well, you can probably get two 4K screens for the price. So, uh, you know, it depends on personal preference, but it's mm. um, kind of a very heavily caveated recommendation in terms of screen quality. Is that actually a recommendation if you're having to make caveats? Well, it depends what you need it for. If you are just buying it to be a screen and you're okay with that price to get that quality, yeah, absolutely. Like I can genuinely switch between the laptop, the iPad and the screen and you don't see, you know, different brightness, different pixel density. It's really nice to look at. Mm. But if like me, you were justifying the original purchase on the basis of, oh, it'll do all these extra jobs for me as well, which is kind of where I was at. It was going to be a webcam and a USB hub and all that kind of stuff as well. do some reading is what I'd say do some reading about the things you want to plug into it and how you want to use it okay so I'm now the proud owner of a CalDigit T3 Thunderbolt dock which I've stuffed on my desk which is now doing kind of dock duty so it's all my USB ports and everything's plugged into that how do you spell that Cal digital as in milk Cal C-A-L-D-I-G-I-T and of course it's the wire cutter recommended Thunderbolt dock ah okay okay well it's my sort of second best way to get a bunch of USB ports on my desk handy with a Thunderbolt Mac. Is that a mini dock? Thunderbolt mini dock? That's the one, yeah. Or just a dock? Oh, okay. 
I'm looking it up. Thank you. But uh, yeah, so so far so good, but not flawless, uh, I think is the thing. I just wish Apple would release one of their own and then it would just all work. But the more you read about Thunderbolt accessories, the more it's a bit of a minefield because, you know, different ports and speeds and connections and all that kind of stuff. So I, I think it's one of those technologies where you can still see the joins, you know. Mm. But yeah, we should move on. Android TV boxes, Ewan McLeod, who've written here at Ewan's Me Box, My Box. I don't actually know the name of it. Me Box, maybe. Me. Xiaomi, so it must be me, right, okay? It's made by Xiaomi, and it's a, uh, I needed to buy a very simple box, a thing that plugged into the TV that had a control, a TV control on it. I was quite happily using my Amazon Fire TV, perfectly fine, until my wife said, but yeah, how do you control it? I said, well, easy, just use the app. Right. And uh, I think you guys would be quite happy doing that. I think that's a long term solution, but she doesn't think so. Uh, so I went and I had to buy, I was, I was looking for a Google Chromecast. And I thought, no, 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 I need to make it completely, I almost said idiot proof, but uh, <laughs> user friendly, user friendly, in, in case she does actually listen to the podcast. I, I don't well, know. I'm glad we're using much. more inclusive language now, you, and that's real progress. Yeah. Yes. We're all making progress together. The thing is, actually, I've got a bunch of stuff, though, around the house, like lights and things that I could, you know, mm-hmm. and I'm doing my bunny as quotes, just change with my phone. And I've even got widgets mm-hmm. on my phone. So, or, so that I, or sorry, I've even got things on yes. my phone where I could pull down and, and they're there, you know, like little shortcuts and things. Mm-hmm. I still find them too much of a pain. I'm increasingly finding that, you know, particularly for our lights and things, I'm putting physical buttons, even for smart lights, I'm putting physical buttons around because I don't want to be unlocking the phone and messing about with it when I want to turn the light on and off I want to do it quickly mm. so I, I, sim- I sympathise well yeah she's got a point she's I got think a point. Mrs yeah. McLeod possibly has a lower tolerance for messing about with phones and that might be a more <laughs> more sensible answer yeah and they just want it to work so I um, this is for one of the, the TV in the children's area place and so I, I went into the uh, Lulu which is a big Tesco equivalent here and I said to the guy have you got you know, a, a fire TV basically I just needed a fire TV control and I don't, don't know where it is no, 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 but we do have a Mi Box, he said. What is a Mi Box? I had a look. And it's a Xiaomi. Uh, there I'm holding it up on the, you know, audio-only podcast. Yeah, top very, very nice, very efficient. But the key thing is it comes with an HDMI cable, and you plug it in, and it just works. It's incredibly impressive. It's using the Android TV, which is exceptionally popular over here. Almost every TV in the um, electrical places is advertised with um, Android TV. And it's the first time I've seen Android TV. Super, super efficient. It downloaded, I connected to the internet, did an automatic update. Absolutely yep. best in class customer experience as far as I was going. Yeah, click, 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 done. Straight into Netflix. That's the only thing she cared about. It's got Prime Video and of course all the other apps. Yeah, 3,000 plus apps, it says. It's really efficient. Very impressive. How much in sterling or dollars? Uh, 40 pounds. 40 pounds. 4K. You and I have both invested in the Samsung Frame TVs, which are Yes. Lovely because of the way they look on the wall. But mm. I look at the big pile of electronics you get, and then I look at your £40 Xiaomi box you've got in your hand there, and it's very yep. stark that actually everything in that £40 box can replicate all the features of the TV I that think I it's care higher, about. It feels higher quality, actually. Yeah. 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 Yes. And, and so yeah. I'm almost minded to use boxes like that rather than buying things built into the telly because... Mm. If a new thing comes along or a new version of Android comes along, or if I decide I want to switch to Apple TV or something like that, maybe yeah. maybe yeah. not Apple, they're a bit pricier. I can replace the smart home brain bit, you know, really affordably. Yes. It's also got Google Assistant. And no one, I tell you what I've just noticed, by the way, is the children have started um, using the Google Home to control the TV. 
because I've got smart things. And, and so they've actually started, Google, hey, Google, they've been saying. And uh, yeah, switch the TV off, switch the TV on. Because they've been trying to do that for quite a while. And it's only now that I've actually hooked the thing together. And it does work. So it's really interesting. If you look at the next generation, they don't even care about the control. They're expecting to do it all by voice. Fascinating. Now, 40 quid for a 4K device like that. And um, we own RoboRocks as well. I think in my head, the yes. Xiaomi now are producing stuff that actually I'm no longer suspicious of. You know, previously mm-hmm. we'd have sort of thought of it as cheap or, you know, copy designs, but increasingly there mm-hmm. with their stuff, it's genuinely a contender as a viable product, which is probably, you know, kind of is where quite a lot of those sort of Korean budget brands would have been mm-hmm. a few years ago. And they're absolutely smashing it now. Some really nice looking products and some great original design. I mean, if everything mm-hmm. works as yeah. well as that RoboRock vacuum cleaner that you and I've got. Yeah, yeah, it's really reliable. Yeah, then that's fantastic. Every night I use it, yeah. So... Meebox, you'll have to let us know how you get on with it, if it keeps working. But um, mm, No, it's working really well, yeah. Android TV, I think, is something we're going to have to come back to. Um, Google's mm. Sabrina device leaked just a few days prior to this recording, and there's a lot of detail there, but it looks to me like the Chromecast thing might be on the way out and something more capable of a full-on Android TV might be on yes. its way. But we'll do some more informed opinion later on. Uh, last up in the follow-ups, Rafe Blanford, some news on the Indiegogo Lenovo photo screens. Yes, we mentioned this a few episodes back, and I think all of us signed up to get notified when it would uh, come out. I think only Ewan actually got that notification. It's now yeah. available on Indiegogo, but they had very limited number of units. I think it's lower, something like 79. They've all sold out. But I think a bit of hesitation, maybe leaping straight into the early adopter pool, and, and Ewan, I know you felt that. Mm. Why was that? Well, I got, I got the email, and I don't know why you guys didn't get it. I got it from Indiegogo. Maybe you were, did you get it from the Lenovo website or something, was it? I signed up on the Lenovo website and still haven't had any notification, yeah. Uh-huh. I was in a conference call, and a thing popped up, and I thought, oh, immediate, immediate. You know, I was remembering the conversations we'd had, and I, I clicked through, clicked through, and I thought, right, I'm going to get three, four of these. And the first lot had gone, the first 70 or 80 had gone. There were 300 available, Rafe, of the uh, 299 or 199 or something and i was about to place my order and i then i thought no wait 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 wait. how, how is it powered and i i, I had a look and thought, uh, because i thought it might be batteries oh, oh no i'm gonna have to put it up probably uh, so i i yeah i actually i had an early adopter nightmare for the first time i think maybe because I, I do worry about these well i know ben uses these things religiously like um kickstarter and so on I have in the past <laughs> spent money and it's just, I like it when it's ready now, I think. So I had a, a moment of weakness and thought, no, I'll wait and see how these things go. Like you early on, I backed a bunch of things that always arrive long past the point where I need them anymore. Because I, you know, I sort yeah. of, <laughs> this charger or that dock or this gizmo. And then like sort of nine months later when it arrives, I don't I haven't got that laptop anymore or it doesn't solve mm. a problem or the market's moved on and a bunch of really low value stuff. So. What I would say, though, is that the things that have been the success is where they're bigger or more experienced providers. And like, there's no question Lenovo will deliver oh, the yeah. product yeah, yeah. and no, do yeah, a good exactly, quality. Exactly. Yes. So this one I was a bit more interested in. But like I say, I still think this is a segment that's got some legs, you know, these sort of screens around the house. I think it's got legs as well. Yeah. I just, it's a, solve the power, right? Because I think that's what stopped me. I just thought, let me just have a quick check. And I looked down and saw because it looks like they've done a really good thinking about how you can swivel the frame and how it works yeah. and it's self-balancing. You don't have to worry. You just screw it in. They've done a lot of good thinking there, but you have to have it near a PowerPoint. And I thought, oh, that is going to annoy Hetty. 
my wife. Yeah. Because it means it's got to be somewhere near or you have to trace the wire. And I thought, oh, geez, isn't there a way it could use... No, I know, hey, I know it's difficult, but yeah, isn't there a way it could use batteries or something or some really smart Amazon Kindle style screen that just doesn't need that much connectivity or power or I don't know. Put an Apple ARM chip in it. <laughs> we should move on. Did you see what I did there? Okay. Neatly segueing into the first topic of conversation. So as we record this, WWDC has just finished. Apple have announced their ARM-based chips, although I think they call it Apple Silicon, don't they? They do, they do. They're not saying ARM. I suppose they don't need to, do they, really? They don't specify the detail, but underneath, you know, the uh, the Intel chips. Hmm. And it feels important, but I can't quite put my finger on why, Rafe. I mean, like, it's a very technically different solution, isn't it? I mean, it's going to involve a lot of engineering under the covers, but watching all the interviews that I saw, they seemed at pains to stress that developers and consumers probably won't notice the difference other than it's going to go faster and last longer and, and, and. Yeah, I I think that's right. They talked about Rosetta 2, which is their translation software that will Mm. take stuff that currently runs on the Intel and will then make it run on the Apple Silicon, although they did emphasize that developers should, I guess, port things across in order to take advantage of the new efficiencies and effectiveness of the Apple Silicon. I think it was kind of noticeable in contrast. Uh, I'm trying to think back to the transition from PowerPC to Intel that happened before and the way Apple has traditionally talked about its silicon, particularly on iPhone and iPad, where they've talked about 2X and 3X and the performance being better. They were actually pretty cautious about the way they talked about it being faster, which actually makes, to your point, makes me think it's about a slightly different message of efficiency and effectiveness. And actually, I think that's the ARM architecture all over. And I would talk about maybe three areas, one of which is power. And actually, very notably in the press release, they talked about kind of the most power per watt rather than the most power overall. And you could talk about why that's important. Obviously, battery-powered devices like laptops, but also the amount of heat they generate and the kind of heat budget and engineering that has to go into these devices and Of course, also, if you're being more efficient, maybe you have a smaller battery, you can have a different shape, different size device, all that kind of thing. The second thing is maybe around what it means from a software engineering point of view, that they do seem to be bringing macOS and iPadOS closer together. And indeed, one of the benefits was it would be able to run iPhone and iPad software on these Mm -hmm. new Macs. Mm -hmm. But you also wonder about the system level stuff, you know, how much commonality do they get out of it as an engineering team? And then the third benefit is maybe realizing that it's not just about pure power anymore. And I wonder whether we have got to that plateau because it's very noticeable that actually in desktop PCs, there's been less of an emphasis on the fastest, the most powerful chipset. And people have been talking about this for a while, so it's a bit dangerous to say it, but there's a lot more of a range of the amount of processing power you can get even in an Apple laptop, you know, down to the low end MacBook Airs right up to the MacBook Pro. And so for certain types of devices, it's going to make sense because probably some of the other silicon on it becomes just as important the way they've been including the bionic chip, being able to do security, kind of touch ID and other things. And presumably this will come into AI and other co-processors that will appear. They made some interesting comments about graphics and everything else. So it's those three reasons, none of which are really related directly to performance as in speed, but are related to performance in terms of energy budget, efficiency, and effectiveness, and then that kind of whole stack that sits on top of silicon, which is the software engineering element of it. 
And that was really interesting. Nor are they jumping right in and going, we're switching everything over right now. They specifically said there's more Intel hardware coming. And that's the kind of contrast to the last time they did that switch when it was very much a switch over, not quite overnight, but they telegraphed it and were very confident about it, which makes me think maybe slightly different applications and a slightly different narrative to it. Mm. So you and I want to be a little bit more excited than Rafe because I mean, like, I think obviously you're technically right, but those things you've talked about, particularly heat, the power budget, and the ability to work longer, you know, for the same size of battery really excites me because if I look at my 12-inch iPad Pro, which is millimetres thick and in many cases feels like it's quicker and certainly has a chip that's able to do things that are equal to my MacBook Pro, you know, it's vastly thinner. It doesn't get half as hot. It's got no fans or fancy cooling in there. It can work all day. It's a different platform, et cetera, et cetera. But I actually think you know, if that's an example of the sort of things that they could do, and if they could start to not be held to ransom by waiting on Intel to produce a new chip, mm. they actually, you know, they, sometimes they could invent a chip. I'm being obtuse here, but they could invent new chips because they need to make new laptops, you know, because of the laptop range is looking tired yes. or they want to yes. refresh it or, you know, they decide that they want to put AR or something new into it. So, I mean, as a consumer, you and I'm kind of, my itchy finger is close to my wallet, ready for the back end of the year when the first of these devices comes out. Now, here's a question for you. What are you expecting? Because when they said, look, you know, um, they put up a little graph on the video showing, you know, power to uh, battery life and, and so on. And, you know, just ARM is way better. Okay, just, just how, how, how better? Because I have high expectations here. Does this mean uh, that I'm going to get 40 hours out of my battery? Or does it mean I'm going to get an amazing, you know, new cool stuff. I just, I, I'm looking forward to it. I'm slightly annoyed I've already bought a new MacBook. And I do wonder how many people are going to buy, you know, when they say they've got new hardware coming, how many people are actually going to buy that new hardware knowing that the new ARM ones are coming? And then do we have to do the Apple thing, which is wait before you buy the first lot, you know, and then let someone else buy it and then they make it better on the third generation? Right. I suppose it's a fair criticism, Rafe, isn't it? They didn't announce any concrete numbers. So I'm all giddy based on promises that are entirely unquantified, but you can look at what they've achieved in iPhones and iPads and sort of try and extrapolate out because those platforms are as powerful because of what's Mm. in there and they're going to use those skills again. It's not my guess, but I was listening to some sort of informed commentators earlier today on on another podcast who said that small laptops were where they thought that they might go first because that's where you could transition in the iPad chip or something close to it and just get a speed and battery boost, you know, fairly immediately. And it would be most beneficial to something like a MacBook or a MacBook Air. And actually, as Rafe alluded to, putting these chips everywhere else is a bit harder because there are benefits to be had, but it takes more engineering, you know, and and the iPad is is already halfway there to being quite a cool laptop. Yeah, well, I was going to say to your discussion point in earlier episodes this season about your new iPad Pro 2020, being a laptop, going kind of the next stage of that and actually having the built-in keyboard. Mm. And it's interesting, macOS sort of seems like it might be heading towards getting touch, which I think is really interesting. But kind of makes sense if you're running iPad applications on it, you're probably going to need to be able to have touch rather than using mouse for the best user experience. So I agree with you, it will be those lower-end devices that will benefit most. But this is a point about efficiency of your silicon like no longer is it a performance race. And I think 
Apple to some extent have been hoisted on their own petard by like all the graphs that have been shown in the past around 2x and 3x. And like, a lot of people will say, like, I haven't been concerned about the performance of my iPhone for a number of years now, only when you've maybe had it two or three years and it's got slowed down by cruft and updates. But actually the fact that you can put iOS 14 back onto like several, more than several actually generations back of iPhone, all points towards that kind of absolute performance being less important than other things that we talk about. So I think we'll actually see a split for a while. And the reason they didn't talk benchmarks mm. is because there's not really a story to tell there. It wouldn't be very not attractive. And exactly. Trying yeah. to tell people like, oh, it's got the best performance per watt. Like, great. Who's going to take that in in a 15-minute keynote when you're still going to have Intel stuff running on the various highest end? The interesting thing for me is how quickly will they roll that Apple Silicon across their hardware family? And is there a danger in that transition moment like with the development efforts of application developers being split and software and everything else? But clearly, they feel the need to do so. And I'll come back to the point you made. They will control everything, and that's how they will differentiate the hardware, and that's how they will continue to be able to charge a premium and a margin for you know device and products that every other manufacturer are pretty commoditized now yeah i mean this this is a point of differentiation and i mean I'm, mm. i already feel a bit justified about getting giddy the developer transition kits which are mac minis with ipad internals sort of jammed into yes. them these are the loan devices that they give out to people who've asked for them so that they can start to move their apps over onto this new apple silicon platform They've started shipping some of those out. And um, let's just say that the comparatively, for what it is, the performance is quite impressive. Some of the initial benchmarks show that those devices working with software that was written for Intel architecture, so that's using all of that translation layer that Rafe mm. talked about, perform more quickly than Windows for ARM working on ARM software. So there's already a one device out that allows you to run Windows on ARM hardware. It's part of the Microsoft transition for a similar direction, I think, for similar reasons. And uh, it vastly overperforms that, which is not evidence that it will when they release final products, because this is just a pile of processes in a box. But you've mm. got to think that if you can cram something that impressive inside a Mac Mini with chips that you've robbed from a two-year-old iPad, you know, it's a fairly exciting play. So... Roll on the end of the year, I'm looking forward to, uh, to our Macs because it'll start to introduce those kind of 10 or 20 or 50 times percent, sorry, not times, percent improvements. It's uh, just that, about to go, wow, I'm having one of those. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, those sort of the tens of percent improvements that we take for granted with the mobile stuff because they always stand up in front of a screen and say, you know, 20% extra battery, 10% extra battery, 50% extra this. And uh, mm-hmm. you're yeah, right, right, you definitely don't get it on the laptops anymore. We'll come back to that, but that's notable news. And I think it's exciting, not just for developers, because it's going to move the needle for consumer products as well. Isn't it also, it's exciting for, yeah, as you say, for the rest of the industry, because this is a good indicator that the other technology companies out there are going to have to do some more exciting stuff. Bring it on. Bring it on. It's certainly a point of differentiation for Apple products. Yeah, exactly. Okay, we should move on. Mm. So, jarring change of direction. Wirecard. Yes. Ewan. Captain Banking. Hello. Hello. Without going into the problems that Wirecard are having as a company, because if you're interested in learning about those, go and read the FT article and things like that. Yes. Can you just quickly explain what Wirecard does, and then we'll get on to why we're talking about it on the podcast? Right. So they provide a wide array of third-party services, particularly to fintechs or financial technology startups. So they, they do a whole lot of things, but we're going to focus on 
if I am a fintech startup and I, I want to do something cool, but I need to enable you to be able to have a debit card, or actually in most cases, a prepaid card that I can send to you, you can then use my app or service to then do things. But really what you want to do is load money onto that card and then spend it somehow. So think of neobanks are a good example, but there's a whole host of different services. Like, for example, I, I use uh, a children's service for pocket money. They'll give you a prepaid card for your child and you can top it up and so on. So there's been lots of an explosion of innovation across the marketplace, particularly in Europe, particularly in Europe, where all sorts of organizations with you know, a couple of million in funding, a million pounds, dollars, uh, euros, they have gone to Wirecard and purchased a third-party service from Wirecard that enables them basically to offer a prepaid card facility. So Wirecard are the plug-in provider basically of the card facility for lots of these providers. So they're the plumbing. Right. And it means that these fintech startups don't need to build a whole bunch of plumbing that's really hard and yes. really complex to do before they start to build their cool product yes. on top. Oh, there's the significant technology. There's, there's a heck of a lot of certifications that you need to get. It is a major investment to launch your own card infrastructure. So that's why most companies, what you see at the trend is typically you want to get market fit. You want to prove that the consumers want to use your service. So you use Wirecard, in some cases, just as a leg up, and then you raise some more money, build your own. Of course, it takes a while, and we've seen some fintechs have done that, and other fintechs haven't. Other fintechs, even if they raise a load of money, and, and the reason I'm suggesting a load of money is because you do have to hire people that know what they're doing and invest a heck of a lot of money in building that infrastructure to connect into the card systems yourself. With Wirecard, it's effectively just an API. Uh, application programming interface, it, you know, it can be up and running in a couple of days, the actual interface. So quite, it's really straightforward, very easy. And yeah, a lot of these, these developers, these fintechs, the entrepreneurs love it because you know, tick, I've got the card yeah, because it's not a focus point for uh, a lot of these guys um, until now, perhaps. It's not been an issue because yeah, Wirecard provides that. Okay, now I can get on with building my business. And Wirecard have had some... Um Issues. Issues, uh, yeah. And the reason that we're talking about them now is that there's been a number of stories about Wirecard and the business side of things and mm. whether or not it's a well-run business. I think I'll you know, leave it there. And mm. in the UK, the Financial Conduct Authority, who are one of the relevant regulators, stepped in and stopped the UK arm of Wirecard operating overnight right. without any warning. Yeah. Because there yes. were unanswered questions, I think is probably mm. again the, the sort of the fairest way to describe it. You know, no confirmed allegations, but important questions that needed to be answered. And mm. all of a sudden, lots of things stopped working. So the brand that that we've talked about in the past here, that to my mind was most visibly affected, was Curve. Right. That's the service that allows you to sort of load up all of your bank cards into a mobile phone app and then have one single card and direct your transactions all across your different banking providers. Mm, and, mm, mm. you know, we've talked about the ups and downs of Curve because they had some problems in the past as well, but they've also, you know, it's a product that I think rightly has got quite a lot of attention for being fairly innovative. But overnight, their business stopped, as mm. did a bunch of other products. Oh, that a were, ton of others. Yes, yes. Some that were tailored to pocket money services, some yep. kind of business-to-business -business kind of business banking pieces, some prepaid debit card services. I mean, lots of things stopped working. And so kind of we get to this point of, should we as consumers use services that are 
not mature enough to have built their own stuff. Yes. Rafe, you're relatively impartial in this. Would you trust services now that use not just maybe Wirecard, but these kind of single points of failure? It's a tricky one because I think there's probably more products and services built on top of these things than most people realize because they typically don't advertise that they're enabled by X, Y, or Z. At the very top level, you can talk about stuff like AWS, Azure, Google Cloud Services. They're clearly not going to fail or go anywhere. Although there have been instances where various data centers have fallen over and, and have taken things down for hours at a time. But there are a lot of companies who provide these kind of SaaS or solution type products. And if I was going to pick on another one, and not saying anything about this company, Onfido, which kind of does know your customer type authentication, mm. which is another thing that's pretty hard to do seamlessly and well, and is a well understood problem. Yet I think they power a number of these, including Uber for driver kind of uh, sign up and a bunch of others, because that's kind of one of the things that regulators demand. And actually, most of these companies are sort of driven by regulatory demand, and that's something that everyone has to do. And for those not familiar, Know Your Customer is a distinct set of checks that you do when you're applying for an account with somebody, it might be a bank account, it might be a service provider. And it's about yeah. verifying your identity and doing due diligence on you to make sure that you can have this typically regulated product. And so it's more than just the sign-up process. It's actually a sort of a level of assurance that you've got to do. And it, it normally is in response to some kind of regulatory requirement, isn't it, Rafe? Mm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And it, the ones that I think have become quite embedded in the market are the ones that have a lot of what I call backstage process kind of hidden behind the scenes yeah. where they're doing a lot of business logic. So, you know, Wirecard, yes, it's had a, a big impact. It maybe makes me think, well, can I pick ones where I know they own more of the stack themselves and therefore are not so fragile? But what I'd call this coral reef ecosystem approach is not uncommon, especially early stage startups. Probably mm. not going to stop me trying them, but it does uh, make me think about the McLeod TM advice about having more than one bank account, for example. Yes. And can yes. you do that? for other services. So I don't think it puts me off, but I wonder if I saw more of these and it affected me personally, would I get a bit more teed off by that? And I, I can definitely see kind of a user who's maybe not so understanding going, oh, I don't want to be dealing with this fintech or this startup stuff anymore. I'm going to go back to Barclays, Nationwide, Santander, and, 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 and. Because I'm sure we're going to see this happen again. Yeah, there's lots of debate around in the marketplace around this one because it does look as though it has potentially been exceptionally damaging to or let's just say damaging to this whole startup ecosystem because you know all of these new businesses these new startups they rely upon reliability right so you think okay i'll try this out i'll, I'll transfer 50 pounds 100 dollars, right and, and of course you expect that money to be safe and we haven't talked about safety here so in almost every case i've read yeah, the FCA has acted to ensure that your money was safe. So usually what happens is your money is stored not by the company in their own bank account. So in the fintech usually stores their money in a custody account with a big, it's really interesting, it's a big Barclays HSBC incumbent that you know and trust and that is backed by the government. Now, that's good the FCA acted. And I think, as I understand it too, ensure everyone's money was safe. But then I'm reading through some of these 
companies and they're frequently asked questions you know, because they've all had to throw the website up very quickly going, hey, sorry, 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 we're offline. Uh, you know, one of the frequently asked questions says, I am due to receive my pension credit bereavement support yeah. money or what, you know, I, you know, I meant to get something from the government. Is there anything you can do to help me? And the answer is no, you know, which is really, really not helping. So if you were trusting these services for your financial well-being, a lot of these websites are simply saying, no, we can't help. And then on one particular one I'm looking at, write it down. It says, what should I do if I'm experiencing financial hardship? And it says, you know, click here to find a food bank near you. Now, look, this is them doing the right thing here, right? Yeah, for some of their customers, any of the customers that may, may be experiencing financial hardship because their services are offline. That's where it's really not quite ideal. It's been a very difficult learning experience for the industry. And then if I can come back to the standard reality here, right? Please, 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 if you're playing with these things, uh, especially if these are new companies, it is very difficult for them to guarantee a, a five nines, you know, a 99.999% experience, let alone have the threat of you know, something being shut off like this. Make sure you've got multiple bank accounts and make sure there's an incumbent in there as well. Yeah. And I mean, it's going to make me check more carefully what you said about where the money is stored because mm. there are schemes that regulated banks mean that, you know, for, for up to in the UK, £85,000, I think it is, but there are other yeah. schemes in other countries that are comparable. You know, that money is safe, but you need to make sure that your particular set of arrangements mean that your money is being held by a bank. And sometimes with yes. prepaid schemes, they may not be. So you want to be cautious about yeah. the amount of money you put at risk. But also, I think I just want to come back to something Rafe said about it enabling the early stages and those sorts of things. And mm. some of the companies that were affected this time have large customer bases and comparatively mature products, and people have come to rely on them every day. So, I mean, a specifically Curve mm. is the mm. example I'm going to come back to, where lots of their support queries are saying, I've booked all my holidays, I'm getting lots of refunds for all my travel for my holiday because of the pandemic, and money is flowing in sort of unusual directions, and mm. the card is blocked, or your service is down now, and I either can't retrieve that money, or the company giving me the refund hasn't been able to return it because their transaction's been declined. And I'm worried yep. this company is going to go out of business shortly because of market conditions. And therefore, you know, they still may be holding my money when they go bust. And therefore, I may not actually get my money back. I, would, you know, I want to have it back as quickly as possible. So I think definitely I love playing with the new fintech startups. But yes, I think Monzo and people like that who built their product validated their product and then immediately moved to make all of the pieces that underpinned it much more reliable, kind of they're the people I have confidence in because I think that's the right thing to do. And people like Curve have been operating for a good number of years and have taken tens of millions of pounds worth of funding, I think probably should have moved some time ago. And it's easy to be wise after the event, but actually this plumbing, if you're going to be the kind of size business and offer the kind of services they want, it should have been done already. And to be fair to them, they've made very rapid progress with this now under pressure. But for me, if I'm starting to look at services once I've started to enjoy them, I'm going to be wondering how long it is before you get onto a permanent footing and don't rely on a wire card or something like that. It is one of those. I have been on various different committees and in rooms discussing these kind of things. And you know, the wire card issue is heavily felt before this event. Uh, yeah, it's a massive, massive risk for all of these businesses. And yeah, it's usually, it will be on the risk register that something goes wrong with a wire card. 
people are usually more worried about yeah, service disruption rather than, than anything kind of legal. Yeah. Because also you have to go into a room and say, right, we've built this service and it looks quite popular. Now what I'd like to do is to spend £10 million of our hard-earned venture capital money rebuilding it exactly so that nobody notices the difference. Right. And that's a very difficult question for a lot of people. Yeah. But I don't think anyone expected this type of risk issue to happen. No, and this is, this is really interesting, but it's going to be another lens. So when we talk about fintechs in the future, well, this is a lens we'll have to look down. In the meantime, mm. many of these companies are beginning to recover. Some people are moving away from Wirecard and will be able to reissue their cards and move on. Uh, Wirecard may, uh, as we recall this, looks like it may be getting permission to start trading again, potentially at least, you know, sort of with close scrutiny by the FCA. So these services may come back online. But uh, it's been an interesting time for fintech startups. We should move on though because we are well out of time on that one final thing of the day hey email oh, i'm excited mm, about this one yes i love shiny new services and i particularly like shiny new services by people with attitudes so rafe blanford <laughs> you've not said enough this episode tell us what hey email is in case anyone who's listening isn't familiar so hey email is i would say a new email service rather than an app although there is an app associated with it from the makers of Basecamp who I think a lot of people will be familiar with for their kind of project management management type software. They've also been in the news because they were kind of fighting with Apple over in-app payments and the rules around the App Store. I think we can leave that to one side because I don't think that's particularly interesting. There's some resolution there and it's an ongoing argument around the app economy anyway. But what they've done is they say or talk about rethinking email And it's what I would describe as an opinionated product in that they've got a certain way they think you should do email and they are quite rigid and sticking to that. And that's something I kind of like to see in a product. I may not always agree with it, but it does make it stand out. And one of the things that happens here is it really makes you think about the way you're handling your email. And hey, email, at the moment, you sign up and get a hey.com email address. And it's interesting that you have to pay £99 out for a year's subscription. There's no... Dollars. Yes, thank you. Dollars. Uh, It's not month to month. There is now a free kind of seven-day trial version with a disposable email address. Part of the reason was actually Apple and getting around some of the rules there. But also, it's not really going to work until you kind of move full scale to it. And they're doing custom domains later. But what they've done is essentially set up some interesting rules. And maybe if I talk about a couple of them, and then Ben and Ewan can talk about a couple of them. So one of those interesting features is the way it kind of organizes your email. And actually, it puts it into four separate buckets. There's screener, which all email comes into by default and asks you to put it into one of the other three buckets by the email address. You have the feed, which is where kind of notification newsletter type content goes. Then there's inbox, which is inbox with an M, which I'm having trouble pronouncing. And that's the kind of your, I would say, priority or important email coming from individuals. And then there's one more, which Ben is going to remind me of. Paper trail. Paper trail, which is exactly what it sounds like, all your receipts and everything go in there. But it requires a certain amount of discipline to set it up. But once it starts working, I would argue, and the experience I had of using it was more efficient than some of the automatic things that we've seen both Gmail and Outlook do with priority inboxes and similar. And of course, there is some interesting stuff around privacy and security that they've done and tracking pixels. But I know I've used it. I kind of, in the end, said, "Mm, not for me just yet. Really interesting though. Ben, I know you've been using it. What's your reaction been? What features have caught your interest? Well, 
I have to say, I really, I really like it. And actually, you've done a very good job of describing the product. For me, it's not quite brought it alive in terms of where the value is, because for me, the thing I like is that they've thought about how you're going to read your email and they've created some different steps for that. So they've turned off notifications unless you ask for them specifically. Mm. So you're not being interrupted. Email is something that you choose to do. And then I really like, you've got your inbox, inbox, sorry, and it might have 10 messages, 15, 20 messages in it that you need to process and, you know, to triage as the productivity gurus call it. And I hit the read together button and I go into a new screen. All of those emails are end to end to end. You read them like one big scrolling page and some of them are a bit condensed and I can sort of unfurl them if I want to read inside. And on the right hand side, I can quickly reply to that message and make it go away. Mm. I can file it or I can just leave it read. And the thing is, I kind of do that task. I read those or process those emails and then I'm done. And I'm not sort of just constantly dipping in and out. And I'm also really clear that I've sort of done all my email work because if I look at my inbox in my traditional mail client, because things are sorted by time, the screen that's in front of me when I load my mail client is the most chronologically recent email. But the things I need to respond to could be days Mm -hmm. or weeks ago. And so Hay has this concept of reply later, which puts things onto a stack that kind of reminds you that you're going to need to come back to it. You've got things that are pinned, you know, which you currently need to do some work on. And it's really good at basically saying, here are some cues of things that you need to do work on. And here's a convenient way to do that work. And, Mm. you know, I don't know any other email client that treats responding to multiple messages as a task. It's all you know, respond to one, then find another one to respond to, then find another one to respond to. And I think in each case you can say, oh, well, you know, the outcome isn't any different to other male clients, but actually that journey is really nice. I'm really enjoying using it. However, you know, it's very good at what they've thought about. I think where it potentially falls down is sort of where it doesn't go beyond what they've thought about at the moment. You and I were playing about Mm. it at the weekend and we were sending things backwards and forwards and it worked pretty well, didn't it? What I did is I redirected my Gmail or I took a copy of all of my incoming email to hey.com. Yes, that's what I do, yeah. So I made, made an email address. I thought I should try it because I was very impressed at the concept of it, at the challenge, because I'm quite annoyed with the whole email thing. So redirecting the email was quite useful because I began to actually see it is really, really good. Really good. I really like what they've done. I love the idea of not being a slave. It helps you organize correctly. I like the reply later. I like replying all at the same time. They've just stripped it all back. It works very, very nicely. I have been concerned about search. That's why I love Gmail. So I use a G Suite account, a paid-for Gmail account. And I've got, yeah, 70 gig in that at the moment. So it will take a little bit for me to leave Gmail, but I saw the search was good. The interface is good. I like the apps. It has been a real breath of fresh air using it. I feel very calm using it. But, but I absolutely do not want... And I, look, I, I understand what they're saying. They said, you can't migrate your mail. Fine. I'm happy, right? Because they said, the whole thing here is you're just going to leave it all. You're going to start again. And I, I identify with that. I like the prescriptive nature of this product. But people have my email address. It's my own domain. Until I have my own domain, you know, and that's my identity, I, I'm not happy. So I've only replied to you. 
I haven't replied to anybody on the system because I, I don't really want... I feel very special. Yeah. <laughs> oh, and I replied to Rafe, but he couldn't be bothered to set up his DNS on his email in his domain to make it work. So thanks for that, Rafe. <laughs> Since when is anything at rafebanford.com not you know, working? Is it possible I inadvertently gave you an email address that failed? Yes. Uh, yeah, they, 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 oh, come on, you wouldn't do that. You wouldn't do that. Or is it more likely you just use the wrong email address and everyone knows it's rafe at blanford.co.uk? Oh, okay, maybe. Yeah. Please email all your complaints about this week's show directly to Rafe. <laughs> yeah, so I like it, but where are you? I don't, you know, you're not going to be Ben something, Ben Smith 201 or something at, you know, hey.com, are you? Is that going to be your new brand? No, and I mean, like, I've got my own domain, but I think most people won't have. But like, if you've been using a Gmail address for a long time, you're still going to want to keep that because, you know, your life is going to be going into that. So I, I think, you know, the product will evolve. There's a business version coming later on. And no doubt these annoyances that will stop mm. people adopting the product, you know, it will improve. And I found, for example, some of the attachment handling a bit flaky in as much as where I would have in Gmail, where you would have clicked and you've got a nicer preview of a PDF, I had to download it and open it and mm. things like that. And you know, it's a new service, so there's a little bit of sort of a rough around the edges in some places. Mm. But I just liked the idea that doing these jobs are workflows and they need to be thought of as an entire journey yes. rather than lots of tasks, because quite a lot of the way that we use email has built up from the way that it's designed. And you can see the yeah. technology defining the user experience. And even Gmail, even the most popular mm. mail clients still kind of have that same sort of idea of how you present email, the order you present it in and all those kinds of things. And some of the elements of pay could be achieved in those other clients, but you'd have to do a load of configuration and labels and all these kinds of things. I think it would be harder than just using the product that's been designed to do this naturally. I have to say the other thing that occurred to me, the guys from Basecamp created a really nice set of products in Basecamp and yes. they have in some cases become templates for how products in that marketplace work now because those ideas became embedded and popularized and copied. And so, you know, I like Hay and I hope they succeed because I hope that's a successful business for them. And as you say, Ray, for $99 mm. a year, it's not cheap, but I think enough people will value that premium product to pay that. But I hope some of these ideas become a bit more mainstream so that actually my email client, you know, whichever app I choose to use could kind of give me some of these features and behind the scenes, it would still be a real email server. Can I say, I think it'll be useful. You know, if you're thinking, mm, I like the idea of this, go to hey.com, register an account. It's free for 14 days. Try it out because it is really interesting to see how they've completely changed it. Yeah, take half an hour, you know, walk through their, their wizard, you know, their experience of how and why they, they're doing it. Because I, I do think they're onto something. I think it is very impressive. Just not there yet for what I would like. I'd like my domain name. But Rafe, what are you reacting? I think for version one, it's pretty complete in some ways. And mm. I really like opinionated, imaginative products. And this is what mm. this is doing for email. The fact we're talking about it kind of says it all. Mm. And the last time you can really imagine that happening was kind of Gmail and its various redesigns. And arguably Outlook actually has done some interesting things recently. But to Ben's point, they're all built around the existing models. So this is generating some really interesting ideas that could come into other things. But I would hope, you know, $100 a year they need, what, maybe 100,000 users to run a 10 million pound business. And that 
and, you know, we'll pay for a pretty decent development team, custom support and all the cloud stuff and kind of overhead that needs to support that. And hopefully they will continue to push the boundaries because they've been working on it for a while, but then you can, where will they be in a year's time? And will they continue Mm. to have that kind of imagination? Things like, you know, the tracking pixels, which they kind of are blocking. It's very user-friendly as well. It's user-first in a way that I don't think I've seen from other attempts to reinvent email. And we're out of time, but that's the last point I just wanted to pick up. I very deliberately don't use Gmail and I limit my use of Google services. Mr. Tinfoil hat on. Because I can. Because I don't like, I don't like being. Don't say uh, it. I don't like the services. Don't say it. Don't say it. I'm paying for a premium account. They're not reading my email. It's an enterprise grade service. Go on. Google have a habit of getting bored with and abandoning products over time, including paid for products. And if you look at the mess of their video conferencing apps and those sorts of things that have gone through multiple iterations over time and changes, once they've had the initial excitement, they're not great at keeping products in a stable and ones for consumers are funded by advertising. And I don't want that additional consideration of, even if I'm paying for it, the real value of my consumer product being decided by its advertising value. And the guys from Basecamp have been very outspoken about data, privacy, the way that companies should behave, ethics and standards. It's one of the things I like about Fastmail, my current mail provider, who also, you know, sort of make a big play of those services. So I like the fact that the values I care about are baked into the product from the get-go. And if you're not bothered, it doesn't detract from the service. But actually, if you do care, then, you know, you can use it. I don't just think that they're trying to do the right thing. I think they believe the right things as well. And, you know, inevitably in the future, if there's ever a problem, I trust them to resolve it properly. Okay. There we go. You and McLeod is not... Mm. What's this ethics stuff you keep talking about? Is that That's oh, making planes out of balsa wood, isn't it? It's near London, isn't it? Ethics. <laughs> That's my little joke, little little joke. I'm looking at Fastmail because we always talk about this, and I just, what's the search like? I love the Gmail search. Search is good enough for me, but it's not up to. Okay, there we go. There we go. Gmail standards, particularly Gmail, will help you if you search. It will search inside attachments as well, and Hey isn't doing that yet. Mm. But like I say, if you value other things, there might be reasons to use the product instead. Because I'm not a heavy search user. I love the fact they've speeded up the processing, the elimination of the spam and, and those sorts of things as well. So I really like that. Hmm. When we added this to our list of things to talk about, hey, it was still invite only and uh, it was necessary to sort of get on a list. Since then, as Rafe said, they've opened the service up. You can try it for free for 14 days. Hey.com, give it a hmm. go. I think certainly I'm about halfway through my trial now and I've been using it every day. You know, Even if I don't choose to pay for it at the end, I'm glad I've tried it because it's made me think about email, which is not something I probably would have given much yeah. much time or consideration to other than that. Mm. Okay, we're out of time, gents. So if you've got any opinions on this, if you're using the Hey trial or if you've got any insight into any of the other topics we talked about, uh, particularly I know there are a bunch of people who would have done work on fintech stuff who are regular listeners. Yeah. So if you've got any insight, please get in touch. Publicly, you can get us at 361podcast on Twitter. You can comment underneath this episode wherever you see it on our website. Or if you want to say something privately, or if you just want to send a longer message, you can email us through the website as well. There's a contact form there and you can get in touch with us. And obviously, send us all your secret juicy tips for uh, products and services that do or don't use Wirecard and why they are good or indeed bad. Well, gentlemen, it's always been a pleasure. Yes, lots of love. Yes. Rafe Blanford, are you still with us? Absolutely. Yeah, oh, there we go. Yes, thank you. No, he's writing his... Are you writing your thing again? Are you writing the script? No, because you're doing it this time. Uh, it's not me, it's Ben. <laughs> okay, so 
Thank you very much for listening. Thank you for the kind words. Get in touch. Hope everyone's doing okay. Remember, if you're not doing okay, give us a shout and I will send you a shitty joke on Twitter. It won't make your day better. Uh, excuse me. Excuse me. We don't use that language. I'll send you an excellent joke on Twitter. <laughs> we'll be back in probably just about a week or so, lockdown commitments allowing, and that'll be the last episode of the season. <gasps> so we'll have to think of something exciting to talk about. Let's get a cake. I just want to sort of trail an experiment we're going to do at the beginning of next season. We are going to do something that's much more heavily driven by your questions. So if you've got a question that you think we could answer either on any of the topics we've covered oh, yes, yes. in the past, or if you've got a burning question that pertains to sort of mobile stuff-ish generally, fire it through to us. I'd love to collect some questions and uh, we'll tell you a bit more about what we're doing next season uh, later on, frankly, when we've worked it out. <laughs> Anyways, thank you very much and we'll be back next week. Bye-bye. Okay, ready? Wait, 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 wait. I've got to put the fridge off and the air conditioning. I can hear some banging. Is the door news closing? Oh, gosh. Are we all wearing shorts this evening? There you go. Thank you. Thank you, says Mark. Come on, I'll put the fridge off. I've just realised we're all wearing shorts. There's not one of us has managed to struggle to this recording in trousers this evening. 361, powered by shorts. I had trousers on earlier. I went shopping and you have to go shopping with trousers. Come on, show a bit of gratitude that we're wearing, you know, things on the bottom. Well, indeed. My gratitude is immense in that regard. Okay. <laughs> Any other exciting news? We had a power cut here in the upstairs. So no. I told my colleagues today, I had a team meeting and I said, I pretended I was back in the UK because the power went out and the chap came this morning to fix it, but you couldn't fix it last night. We all had to go to bed without air conditioning. Nightmare. It's like being back in the UK. <laughs> yeah, it was very uncomfortable. Yeah, it was the same temperature as it has been in the UK for the last couple of weeks. It's freezing cold and pissed down with rain this week and I'm as happy as I ever been in a long time <laughs> proper temperature still wearing shorts but proper temperature um okay uh it's actually your intro Rafe Blanford uh is it I'm pretty no you did it last time oh no no it's mine isn't it yeah. it's mine sorry because I'm thinking I did it last time but of course somebody meant me have to do it a second time you didn't I did it but you know mm. yeah you've got to do it again <sighs> You know, I said it was all right, Rafe. I didn't mind. I've changed my mind. <laughs> changed my mind. <laughs> I'll do it. I'll do it. I don't mind. It's okay. I'm sorry, Ben, letting you down and for letting you and down and for letting our listeners down. But in my defense, the laptop just died. Yeah. It's not good enough, Rafe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okie dokie. Right. Zero takes then, shall we? Mm-hmm. Maybe one take. No, just can you get it? A little bit of energy, a bit of pace, a bit of excitement. Uh, don't look at us and don't get put off. Don't look at me. Ben, yeah. do it like you normally do it, not like Ewan does it. <gasps> Fighting talk. Right. There's no pressure now, is there? Hello and welcome to 361, a podcast about mobile tech and the world around it. My name is Ben Max, running on their own silicon wire cards, industry woes, and hey, the new email client from Basecamp. One take. One hour, one, I mean... I mean, no, one take, you and come on. Let's do it one more time. I want it just. It did be, sound a little bit robotic. A, a li- <laughs> wow. <laughs> no, I thought you did very well. Very well there. Let's just do it one more take. I want it slightly less wordy. Hello and welcome to 361, a podcast about mobile tech and the world around it. My name is Ben run on arm, Wirecard's industry woes, and hey, the new email client from Basecamp. I think that was a bit more rounded. Yeah, polished, you see. Yes.
Did I tell you I saw an albino Dalmatian the other day? No, you didn't. Something about spots. Oh, bollocks. I've screwed up the punchline already. Did I tell you? Oh, God, he keeps going. I spotted an albino Dalmatian the other day. It was the least I could do for him. <sighs> no, wait a minute. What? Uh, what? Okay. Uh, I downloaded a, an app the other day that's it's a 1980s music quiz. He's still going. Yes. Right. I can't get past level 42. <laughs> okay. <sighs> uh, that's quite good. All right. Why don't scientists trust atoms? Because they make up everything. <laughs> that's quite good. That's quite good. Why shouldn't you call statisticians average? I don't know. No, because it's mean. Oh. <laughs> Tell me you don't have any more. No, I don't have any more. I can give you an inappropriate hipster joke. Go on. Okay. How do you drown a hipster? Throw him in the mainstream. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that's not funny at all. No, very serious. Sorry, yeah. hipsters. <laughs> Did you hear about the person who told his doctor? He said, Doc, help me. I'm addicted to Twitter. And the doctor said, I'm sorry, I don't follow you. That's quite funny as <laughs> well. <laughs> very good. Okay. Yeah. Right. Um, so just quickly before you go, because I know you probably want to go and get on with your lives. Um <laughs>